Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And Kristen actually ran here this morning all the way <laughs> from Arlington. That's about ran, eight miles. jumped, climbed. Yeah. <laughs> all the things. Swam. Uh, yeah. Across yeah. the Potomac. Across yeah. the Potomac. Yeah. It was, it was a long I was wondering journey. what that smell was. <laughs> <laughs> She's a little sweaty here in the studio. Uh, we're slightly exaggerating, but... If you wanted to, Kristen, you could because you are now a CrossFit instructor. So that means you can like do anything, right? Yeah, no, I mean, basically, that means that um, I can tell people what to do and yell at them <laughs> and and make them do whatever's on the whiteboard. Um, yeah, no, I, I recently did get my level one certification. I think that's technically how you can say it. CrossFit's very particular, hmm. um, which basically entails two full days from 8 to 5 p.m., 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., of just learning how to do basic movements. I spent two hours learning how to air squat. I didn't realize how bad I was at it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, good times. But um, now I can teach people how to work out. And I'm, I'm going through the shadowing process and coached my first class yesterday, which was great. That's a big deal. So coach how, Kristen. How much authority yeah. do you have to be like, hey, drop and give me 20 right now? Or is it not like that? I mean, I like to ask for forgiveness, not permission. Mm. So I'm going to just say all the authority. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. No, it's a little intimidating, but I, I mean, I had some time on my hands and I am really passionate about working out. I've obviously talked about it a lot, which is why we're talking about it now. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm excited for the new challenge and to help people live healthier lives and, and show them that CrossFit isn't as intimidating as they might think it is. Because mm. it, that's that's like the goal of CrossFit is to really open up fitness and, and the journey of being healthy to people of all skills and abilities, which is something I've become very passionate about. Mm. I have an idea for the near future. What about a problematic woman CrossFit class. We should. We could get some listeners in. Yeah. You could boss them around. Oh, that would be so fun. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because um, on Saturday, we're having a bring your friend to CrossFit day, which is oh. you get a free free lesson. Oh, so I'm, if either I'm of you guys. Uh, i got to wash my hair. <laughs> <laughs> got to vacuum my, my upstairs. There's, yeah. there's definitely something going on. <laughs> like Christian shopping. Would, yeah, really take take it out on, on me, boss me around. Yeah. <laughs> Dangerous. Yeah. Well, just like Kristen goes hard at CrossFit, we're going to go hard on this episode today. Lauren, go ahead. Let us know what we have queued up. Up on today's Problematic Women, we are breaking down some of the ways leaders in Washington are working to preserve our freedom, something that you don't hear very often, mm. through an initiative called Project 2025. We'll also bring you up to speed on all the candidates who have thrown their hat in the ring for a presidential run in 2024. Plus, Jessa Duggar received criticism after a miscarriage. We explain why. And what cities in America are the happiest? The answer may surprise you. They definitely surprised us. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. (laughs) 
This year's CPAC is underway, and conservatives have one thing on their minds, the upcoming presidential race. In what may become another crowded primary, three candidates have already thrown their hats in the ring. Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy. But still, a lot can happen between now and Election Day. Although we are over a year from a nominee being selected, Project 2025 is already laying the groundwork to ensure such candidates are ready to take office on day one. Because it is not enough for conservatives to simply win. If we are going to rescue the country from the grip of the radical left, we need a governing agenda and the right people in place. Which is why Project 2025 is uniting the conservative movement in a broad coalition to ensure a successful administration begins in January of 2025. With the right conservative policy recommendations and properly vetted and trained personnel to implement them, we will finally take our nation back. So CPAC, we're all going. Um, Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> we would love to see you there. Yeah, if you're there, come see us because we're going to be running around and, and we want to see people that, that we care about, that we love, yeah. you all. <laughs> yeah. No, but so this is something Virginia and I were talking about yesterday. Do you do you think that anyone is going to use this opportunity to announce? Mm. Goodness. Well, um, we have seen, like you mentioned, Kristen, we have uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley. Of course, Trump has announced on the Democrat side. Uh, Marion Williamson has announced Biden has. She's announcing that she's going to announce. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she's, I official. think she's announcing. Uh, no, I, I read it Union Station on Saturday. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. But I guess like if you're announcing that you're announcing, you're kind of announcing. Yeah, kind of yeah. announcing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and all signs point to the fact that uh, President Biden is going to announce. I, I don't I don't anticipate that he will uh, that he will give his announcement at CPAC, obviously. <laughs> don't think I mean, you never know. Maybe he just like, got confused. Yeah, I thought he was going to Delaware, ended up in Maryland. <laughs> that would, man, can you imagine the headlines? Oh, <laughs> like Lord. President Biden announces 2024 run at CPAC. So what we often see with the Conservative Political Action Conference, which is the long name for CPAC, is that there's a lot of people there. And so individuals um, in the conservative movement will use it as an opportunity as they're speaking from the main stage to have a captive audience and make announcements. So I think it's possible that we might see another announcement come from CPAC. But I definitely think that within the next six months we're going to see on both sides of the aisle is when the heat is going to turn up. More Democrats are going to be announcing. More Republicans are going to be announcing. Who knows? Maybe an independent even. We'll have debates this summer. Are you serious? Yeah, and debates really start. Yeah, I mean, the Iowa State Fair. Iowa State Fair. Dang. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. Wow. Man, it's just like it almost feels in some ways like we never get out of uh, an election cycle. Like people, someone is always campaigning. Did did you guys watch Grey's Anatomy growing up? I did not. I also did not. Okay. So I always joke Grey's Anatomy is uh, the most stable thing in my life because (laughs) I was 15 waiting tables and I would go home and watch Grey's Anatomy. And it is woke garbage, but there's still something nice about going home, you know, and watching something that's been there all this time. Um, But Meredith's mom always tells Meredith, the carousel never stops turning. Mm. And I feel like I say that every day now. Yeah. It's like the carousel never stops turning. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's we, true. It's we true. just had the 2022 elections. But to, to kind of pivot here for a second, Project 2025 was kind of, you know, ramping up as as uh, the 2022 election cycles were, were kind of 
in full swing. And um, for those of you not familiar, kind of like I was saying, this is a really cool new um, opportunity for conservatives to come together and kind of put all of their effort into the policies and personnel and preparation of a presidential candidate ahead of uh, the actual elections itself. And, And it is a real chance, I think, to finally get our ducks in a row and be as coordinated as the left has been for the past few years. Um, That's definitely where they're beating us. Kristen, I know that you're kind of in the weeds of this at the Mm -hmm. Heritage Foundation. So I want to make sure that because, you know, in D.C., we have all these things that we throw out. We're like this, you know, this is a new initiative or or whatever. Uh, But this one, I feel like is particularly it's unique and it's timely. But I want to make sure that I fully understand Mm. it. So at the Heritage Foundation, people kind of put their heads together and said, "Okay, no matter who is elected as the next president, we want to make sure that they are equipped with the best tools, with the best people to be able to implement the best policies. So this is kind of creating a structure to say, "Okay, whoever this person is, we want to be able to give them resources and and give them what they need so that they really can further freedom in America. Yeah, no, that's totally right. And it's kind of similar to what we saw with the speaker vote, where it's these really big minds are coming together and really hashing out policy areas for each agency. That's that's the first big push is mm. we have four pillars. Um, the first one is the Mandate for Leadership, which is a book that we've been publishing since the the Reagan era. Um, And really what that looks like is people from previous administrations with agency experience come together and set their recommendations for what should happen given the state of each agency. So I actually was able to contribute to the commerce section because that's where NASA falls. cool. Yeah. And um, basically just push the commercialization of space and, and commercializing, um, using commercial partners uh, with NASA's efforts to make sure that we can get to the moon and beyond. Um, but and, beyond. and beyond. And beyond. Well, Mars. Yeah. Mars. <laughs> Mars, Saturn, Pluto, all of it. Wow. Not, not a planet. <laughs> not a planet. No, wait. Isn't it a planet again? I thought they like... I don't know. It's happening an identity crisis, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's really cool. And it's really necessary because, you, like you said, the carousel never stops spinning. 2022 showed us that people are as eager as ever to, to really get their feet on the ground on day one and kind of just put the... Um, their money where their mouth is and really get some action going. So it's a really, really awesome effort. It's close to my heart because I was in the last administration and I saw how long it took to redirect these agencies to getting into a productive position. And um, to be able to do that on day one rather than year two is going to be a really, really important thing in setting up the next generation for success. Yeah. And I think these things, it sounds a little wonky, but I think an easy way to say it is we are trying to cut red tape in advance. Wow. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're pulling out the scissors and we're trying to remove the roadblocks so that the things that the American people want and so often what we see during elections, candidates make these really big campaign promises and then they get into office and for one, they often don't follow through. But there's like a two year lag, like you say, Kristen, Mm -hmm. because there's so much red tape and Mm -hmm. things have to be restructured. And so we're trying to weed whack some of that red tape in advance. Yeah. Just to put it in perspective, um, at Department of Labor, one of the former political appointees said that all of their civil servants, so that's not a political appointee, that's a permanent 
person working at Department of Labor, they were all given a description, a new job description before Trump took office that basically did not make them accountable to a political appointee or the president himself. It was to stakeholders. And so there's this bureaucracy and manipulation at each agency that we're really trying to target and understand through this process. There's four pillars. Um, One is the book. One is uh, a training academy, which actually listeners, if you're interested in serving the next conservative president, you can take advantage of that now by signing up. Um, If you go to project2025.org, it will direct you to the training site. Hey, Kristen, can you also drop that in the show notes when the show goes live? For sure. For sure. We'll definitely drop that in the the show notes. Um, But yeah, there's, there's lots of opportunities to get involved and really target the bureaucracy and make sure that we're just continuing to restore America's legacy. Wow. Well, and of course, in general, if you all are interested in learning more about the Heritage Foundation, which is our parent organization here at The Daily Signal, um, you can look up heritage.org to see all of the good work that we're constantly doing. But stay tuned because up next, we explain why Jessa Duggar received criticism after having a miscarriage. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to get the news and keep up with the issues that I care about. If you're anything like me, you really enjoy watching interesting clips and videos on YouTube and just, you know, being entertained on YouTube. But sometimes it's really hard to know what information is well-researched and trustworthy. And that's where the Daily Signal YouTube channel comes in. We are constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the news that you care about and to give you the facts in a really succinct way. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and so much more. So if you are not subscribed already, go ahead and look up the Daily Signal YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on the content that matters. Did you all ever watch the Duggar show, 19 Kids and Counting? Yeah, that TLC. was an unhealthy addiction. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> yeah. Wow, TLC you were was like... locked in. <laughs> How many kids did they have when you started watching? Because remember, it was like, wasn't oh. it seven, 17 kids and counting? I didn't, didn't even they realize. Go I, I thought, I thought oh, they did. I'm the wrong person to ask because I, I did not follow the show closely. But it would make sense because if it was always 19 kids and counting, then they never actually counted. <laughs> Ooh. It was just... I think... Stayed stagnant. They had one... They had one baby while I was watching it, and, and that's all I remember. I can hear fans of 19 Kids and Counting right now, like, in their car saying, they started with this number, and yeah. they got to this yeah, they, so they saw, I just um, looked it up on uh, Wikipedia. So very factual. Oh, yes. They started at 17, 17, 18, 19. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So 30-year-old Jessa Duggar, she was recently in the news after sharing a video on her YouTube channel that she had a miscarriage. She has four kids already, and she was pregnant with her fifth. She went in for an ultrasound, and she learned that her baby's heart had stopped beating. So let's listen to a little bit of what Jessa had to say in this YouTube video. At that moment, I was just in complete shock. I didn't even have words. I just immediately started crying and... I was so, so thankful in that moment that I had not gone to the appointment by myself because I almost did. And Ben was there and he put his arms around me and the technician went out and just said she was going to give us some space for a moment and just trying to process through the loss. 
So Jessica goes on in the video to explain that she went to the hospital for a DNC procedure to remove from her uterus the body of her little baby who had passed away um, a few weeks prior. Now, unfortunately, Jessa's vulnerability in sharing her experience of having a miscarriage was really missed on some who were quick to almost criticize Jessa for being pro-life and having a D and C procedure. And commonly, we hear that D and C in association with abortion because it is one of the methods used to carry out an abortion. But what are Jessa's critics missing here? I mean, they just want to own her, right? Like, you want to... We own the left. They just want to be like, you're such a hypocrite because, like, you don't support abortion and and you had one. But, like, that's, A, incredibly insensitive. And if that's where your mind goes when you heard that this woman lost a child, mm-hmm. A, there's something wrong there. But, B, they don't understand science. Like, the left just typically doesn't understand science that if you have a child in your womb and it doesn't survive, that's not an abortion. An abortion is killing a healthy, viable fetus. And this is just a medical procedure that is unfortunately removing a baby that did not survive childbirth. Mm-hmm. I love how um, the Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs puts it. We've, we've had them on the Daily Signal podcast and leadership there. They just break it down really well. They say it's all about intent. Mm-hmm. And abortion comes down to what is the intent if the goal of the procedure is to end the life of a child, that's equals an abortion. If the goal is to save the life of the mom, if the goal is to remove a baby that has already passed away, it's not an abortion. It's a medical procedure. And DNC stands for dilation and curatage. It's simply a a procedure uh, of kind of opening up um, a woman's uterus to be able to to scrape out the lining of that uterus wall. Um, and I mean, gosh, talk about a really intense experience. And Lauren, I think you're right. This is simply not understanding the science. And just because we often hear that term, DNC abortion, a DNC can be used for for many things. It's a common procedure that a lot of women go through not related to abortion. Mm. I think that the intent here was also really missed by the left. Um, Here is a woman who has a large following, understands that she has a responsibility to share, or at least she feels as though she has the responsibility to share her journey with her followers. And the left just blatantly attacks her and totally misses her intent Mm -hmm. here. You know, she's, she's trying to make her pain her experience known to others because they might be going through similar experiences and showing them, you know, we ha- we see all this propaganda and all this hate all the time, but I'm on this journey with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's it just so disheartening that the left takes, you know, the quiver out or the, yeah, the arrow out of their quiver and immediately tries to shoot this girl down. It's yeah. just totally unfair. Also, I mean, that's invasive, super, super invasive. Yeah, not comfortable. Not, yeah, I mean, I haven't gone through it, but I've definitely gone to my OBGYN before, and I understand just going is uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and, I, and it just seems like a very, very, very low blow from the left. Mm-hmm. Well, I was definitely impressed by Jess's response. She commented underneath the video on YouTube that women have DNCs for many reasons, not all of which 
involved killing a living human being. The ultrasound revealed that I had a miscarriage. My baby's heart had stopped beating three weeks before I had a DNC. By the way, this was not my first DNC. It was my second. My first was two weeks postpartum Ivy's birth for retained placenta. So, you know, I I think uh, I'm... Mm. So I'm really glad that she just kind of made it clear. Uh, she, I think, you know, she just stated the facts. This is what it is. I was interested in reading an article that Yahoo wrote about all of the conversation that is happening around uh, Jess's miscarriage. And they ask, um, and her her married last name is now Seawald. So they asked, did Seawald get an abortion? And Yahoo answered, well, it depends on who you talk to. Um, no, it actually doesn't, Yahoo. It doesn't depend on who you talk to. The facts are pretty clear. No, she didn't have an abortion again, because the intent was not to end the life of the child growing inside of her. But talking about abortion, I, I do want to take just a moment to talk about a debate over the Equal Rights Amendment, because at the end of the day, that debate really does come down in many ways to this issue of abortion. We had Emma Waters on the show last week, as you all remember, to talk about what is the Equal Rights Amendment, which uh, jargon of D.C. We often refer to it as the ERA. But that uh, that amendment was introduced back in the 1970s highly uh, controversial amendment. Phyllis Schlafly was a woman who we've talked about. Wow, we talked about her on Remember this. Remember we did a whole show we on We did it? a whole show on her back in the middle of COVID. That was fun. In my parents' house. Wow. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, back in the day. We had Phyllis Schlafly's daughter on uh, because Hulu did a show mm-hmm. about Phyllis Schlafly called Mrs. America. But Phyllis Schlafly really raised concerns early on that what this amendment would do would be to erase the distinction between men and women, making women vulnerable to the draft, further opening up uh, abortion, removing sex-separated spaces like bathrooms, uh, all these things that sound pretty familiar to a lot of issues we're dealing with today. And they called her crazy. They did. They They did. This is like so extreme. They would never let men in women's rooms. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, it it is interesting because so many of the things that individuals who were pro ERA were pushing for have actually already happened, unfortunately, Uh, like men being able to use women's bathrooms if they feel so inclined. But what what the ERA does, again, is it essentially it takes out the eraser and it removes that line that says men and women are different and therefore deserve some sort of separation within society, a.k.a. sports teams, locker rooms, and so forth. Uh, and it just clumps them all in as the same. So while it sounds really nice, it's incredibly mislabeled. And this week... On Capitol Hill, there was uh, a hearing to talk about, okay, do we remove the expiration date, even though the expiration date to actually pass the Equal Rights Amendment expired in the 1980s. But now Congress is like, hey, we should actually consider formally removing the expiration date. And at the end of the day, I think the timing is really significant. I think we're seeing this push shortly after Roe v. Wade was overturned because individuals see if we can get the Equal Rights Amendment put into our Constitution, that will open the door up for more abortion. 
And it's going to be really fascinating to see how this fight continues to play out in, in the coming months. Uh, it's funny how the left in the same breath is like, this is just about women's rights. Uh-huh. All we want is that women to be equal and everything. And then they'll be like, well, you know, this all came up like last summer, you know, yeah. like last June when the, the Supreme Court did this thing. And you're like, so it's about abortion. No, no, no. It's not about abortion. It's about <laughs> women's rights. Well, it sounds like you want to just have a backdoor way to mm-hmm. make a national law about abortion because, you know, this will make it basically a constitutional stature where you could say that women have the right to abortion. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, it just drives me crazy, the gaslighting they try to Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. on women because it sounds great, right? Yeah, totally. Awesome. We We want equal rights. I don't think the left can separate women's rights from abortion. I I think to them they are one and the same, which is really tragic because you're talking about taking the lives— statistically 50 percent of the time of women ending the lives Mm -hmm. of women and somehow they think that that is women's rights and i will say one other like dc pro tip if you're new to the city if you see a bill just always assume that it does the opposite (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know like the era does not make you make us more equal the inflation reduction act did not (laughs) (laughs) remove inflation uh the Respect for Air Marriage Act did not respect marriage. Yeah. So <laughs> names are misleading. Yeah. yeah. It's Read all the about text. marketing. That's what the Democrats have is they're very, very good at messaging and marketing yes. because the point here, right, is that they can say, well, they didn't vote for this act. The, mm-hmm. They don't care about equality. And yeah, that's very true, mm-hmm. Lauren. Mm-hmm. Well, on a slightly happier note, literally, We found some interesting news this week. The 2023 list of the happiest cities in America is out. Right, Kristen? Yes. No. And while money can't buy happiness, where you live just might. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So on Tuesday, the Miami-based personal finance website WalletHub published a report on the 2023's Happiest Cities in America. In it, researchers compared more than 180 of the largest cities across 30 key metrics graded on a 100-point happiness scale, which is super cute. Um, These 30 (laughs) metrics were then categorized and weighted based on three dimensions, emotional and physical well-being, income and employment, and community and environment. This year, for the third time, Fremont, California, made it to the top of the list. Uh, So it was ranked happiest city in America. And... It was joined by two other California cities, San Jose and San Francisco, along with Madison, Wisconsin, and Overland Park, Kansas. One category was lowest depression rate, which is interesting, but the cities with the lowest depression rate were actually Fremont, California, Pearl City, Hawaii, and Honolulu, Hawaii. So there must be a s- lot of sunshine. Yeah, there a are lot places of sun- with a lot of sunshine and yeah. a lot of water too. And water. Yeah, oh, I do love water. A lot of factors were considered for this study, but still many remain skeptical just given the metrics and and process of evaluating these cities. But uh, what do you guys all think of this happiness ranking? I mean, I must say I'm quite frankly very skeptical skeptical (laughs) that San Francisco is among the happiest cities when we know the homelessness rates, the drug addiction rates there, the insane cost of living. Now, granted, uh, with that high cost of living, you do get paid more out there, but I'm not sure it totally balances. So, but they they have sunshine and they mm-hmm. have water and wine and wine. Yeah, so that helps. Uh, but I I frankly was a little surprised 
that there and maybe I'm biased as an East Coaster, but I was like, mm. where are the East Coast cities in some of these top rankings? Because there was a lot of West Coast cities. And I felt a little snubbed as an yeah. East Coaster personally. No, for sure. I mean, I I saw this yesterday and I was really excited because um for those people that don't know, I'm from Naperville, Illinois, originally, and the reason my parents actually moved to Naperville, Illinois. That's um, such a cute name, it is, Naperville. It, so, but it gets cuter, right? Because <laughs> they were actually ranked the kid-friendliest town in America back oh. when I was, I don't know, three or four, which is why my parents moved there. My dad talks about it all the time. It's a pride pride point, that and the soccer program out there. Um, <laughs> but I didn't see Naperville. I did see the neighboring city, Aurora, and I have to say mm. I'm very very confused because Aurora was never, I mean, they have a mall, but they weren't, they weren't anywhere close to being ki- as kid friendly as Naperville. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think this is all. Well, it's like, uh, there's not a Florida city in like the top 20, so it's wrong. <laughs> this is all like who, whoever's chamber of commerce will pay the most money to this website. They'll put you on there, right? Like, <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Parks and Rec. It's the... Pawnee, the the fictional city they're from. First in friendship, fourth in obesity. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I mean, like, you can say whatever you want, right? Like, you can be like, we're the happiest town in America, and then... And it's not very happy it's town. not very true. <laughs> Just some government bureaucrat <laughs> slogan. Yeah. So, uh, I'm really killing the joy there, Lori. <laughs> I don't know. I just, these things, I'm like, no, just let people, just let people live. You know, like, we don't have to judge this. <laughs> maybe I should put, um, maybe I should put something on, on our Instagram so people can, can vote on what yeah. they think is actually, I'm going to do that. Let, I'm going to let you all weigh in um, on what you think the happiest city in America is. Don't just vote for your city. <laughs> think strategically. Because, yeah, yeah I, as someone who's lived in a few different places, like there are so many different metrics to consider in this. Uh, I feel like it, it's hard to um, – I think it's hard often to look at just – the I, I feel like probably what was weighted really heavily was like financials in in many ways, and I'm not sure that that always equals happiness. But you know, fascinating, fascinating. So yeah, weigh in on Instagram. We'd love to have y'all's thoughts. Can you have like a curmudgeon like Lauren option? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, it'd just be one. Uh, every city in Florida, obviously. obviously. <laughs> I don't know. I think people in Florida are kind of realists, right? Like, yeah. you know, you just sometimes well, life is great, but sometimes it's not, and that's okay. I mean, you do have yeah. to deal with hurricanes. And hurricanes are kind of awesome, though. This is though. true. Okay. When they're not like destroying things. Yeah, when they're not destroying your when home. Just having the, the parties and yeah. chilling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, nature's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess so. Uh, well, it's hot in Florida. I think that's probably why everybody. Because, yeah. like, that's even now. true. It's flat, too. That's my, that's my beef. Oh, that's why Florida. it's great. No, I don't, I don't like the flat. That is why it's great. <laughs> I still, like, see a hill and I'm like, no, no I'm not doing it. Um, yeah. I, my family calls me now. They're like, it's 85 degrees and it's February. <laughs> and I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will, and that's probably one of the reasons why so many California cities were on the top because they have that like very stable climate year around. Mm. Like pretty nice if it's just 
70 and like zero humidity. I would love to live like five minutes from a vineyard. And I feel like most Californians have actually that's I don't know if that's real. Uh, but there <laughs> are stereotypes. <laughs> All the listeners in California are like, what the heck do you think? Yeah. Like, yeah. We're just like just sipping wine every they, day. They live on the o'clock. mansion from the parent trap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is our stereotype. All right. Well, stay tuned because up next, we're going to crown our problematic woman of the week. We get it. With big media bias, it's hard to find accurate, honest news. That's why we've put together the Morning Bell Newsletter, a compilation of the top stories and conservative commentary. To subscribe, just head to dailysignal.com slash subscription, or visit dailysignal.com and click on the connect button at the top of the page. It is now that time, once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd. I was one of six states, including Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, and South Carolina to sue to stop Biden's multi-billion dollar student loan forgiveness plan. I mean... (laughs) This plan was really bad. And the fact that the, <laughs> the Biden administration even like thought it could get through is kind of crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I do have th- sympathy. And um, I mean, I think we all at some point had student loan debt. So still, so, so, still have student loan debt. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, empathy for these people. It is scary to have debt. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this this is a decision that people made to, to take out student loans. And the fact that they want to move this over to just the general population and make the, you know, the, a lot of Americans did not go to college and they would be forced to pay for this. It's just really, it, it's at the end of the day, not fair. And yeah. I'm glad to see these states are standing up and calling out the Biden administration for what it, what it did. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it, it's really great to see. And honestly, when I hear people that are in support of student loan forgiveness, I just want to like shake them and say, be an adult. Like you have some skin in the game. You made a decision. Pay off your debt. (laughs) Like that's that's how it works. That's how when you buy something, it it works. It's not like you go to Chipotle and they're like, oh, here, have a free burrito. Like sometimes they do that. (laughs) Wait, you get free burritos at Chipotle? (laughs) (laughs) Fake news. But my point is that doesn't happen. And, And it shouldn't happen for loans that are as I don't know how big of a loan people take out normally, but they're usually quite big. And yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's not free. The government is saying, we're going to pay off your debt for you. Well, no, our tax dollars are going to pay this off. Mm -hmm. So, no, it's still our money. And instead of the individuals who actually borrowed the money being the ones to pay it back, it's getting spread across all Americans so that individuals who never even went to college, those who have already paid off their debt, they're also having to pay your debt. So when we talk about things being fair and and equal, um, this is not that. <laughs> and so Brenna Bird, Attorney General Brenna Bird, um, she was at the Supreme Court on Tuesday when the Supreme Court heard the challenges to this case, and she joined me on the Daily Signal podcast to talk a little bit about what the arguments were and why exactly it's not constitutional for the Biden administration to just say, 
yeah, sure, we can pay billions of dollars worth of debt. Uh, so let's go ahead and play just a few moments um, of my conversation with her to give you all a little bit of a better sense of what what this legal argument is behind uh, behind this challenge to Biden's student loan forgiveness. Canceling student loan debt is not legal. In order for that to happen, uh, something would have to pass the House, the Senate, be signed by the president. It's basic constitutional law. And instead of doing that, and because I think Biden knew that he could not get that through Congress, he instead decided to do it by executive order. Well, as we said, nothing in life is free. Everyone has to pay. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. We're likely going to know in June the Supreme Court's decision on this case. And in the meantime, so far, the Biden administration has continued to kick the can down the road related to individuals who borrowed student loans having to start up again on their payments. So if you don't know, student loan payments are still in deferment, which started during covid And still, anyone who has student loan debt is not having to pay on those loans. So we'll see what happens here. But honestly, I my thinking is that unless unless Biden's plan goes through, he's going to keep kicking the can down the road on that one. And we probably won't see payments reinstituted until there's a change in administration. Um, I might be wrong on that. So don't quote me. But we're gonna see. But congrats to AG Bird and thanks. such a cool name. I know. Wow. I'm Attorney General Bird. Bird, yeah, <laughs> doing cool things. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me, Virginia. Oh yeah, wow. it's such a pleasure. Thank you. Get out of here. <laughs> well, that's gonna be for talking the... to the audience, Lauren. Well, you know, I just sometimes I like to be thanked. You know, uh-huh. I, want to be uh-huh. I want to be appreciated. <laughs> you are appreciated. Thank you. Well, with that, that's going to be for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, subscribe and share. And don't forget, if you're at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Maryland this weekend, swing by the Daily Signal booth to pick up a little bit of a Daily Signal and Problematic wow. Women swag. Wow. 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 Virginia will be really nice to you, and I'll be kind of nice to you. <laughs> Conservatives, conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. We hope that you all have a great rest of your week, a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you right back here next Thursday. Deuces. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.